Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So I want you to open your Bibles up to Psalms 133. Psalms 133, obviously very familiar to us here in the body of Christ. It's an interesting psalm. It only has three verses, but yet it is filled with richness. It is part of what is called the song of the ascents or the psalm of ascents. It begins in Psalms 120 and finishes it in Psalms 134. It's basically songs that were sung by Israel as they ascended on their pilgrimage into Jerusalem or Zion, for there they would worship God at their annual feast. They would come from all over. They would journey there. During their journey, they would sing these songs. Most of them are attributed to David, King David, and he says here in Psalms 133, verse 1, Behold, he's saying, you better look at this. This is amazing. That's what he's saying. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, somebody say like, It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like, say it like. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the Mount of Zion. From there, the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. That sounds like sustained revival to me. Life forevermore. Lord, bless your word today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. When I read this psalm, it sounds like revival to me. We see three things that are metaphors for an atmosphere that is created by the dwelling together of the people of God. He says the oil is flowing, the river is rising, and the blessing is released. As I mentioned, this is the song of the ascent. And as the children of Israel converged on Jerusalem, more and more people from different tribes Different territories would come together. They would blend together. And they would become one unifying purpose. And that one unifying purpose was they might encounter God. They were headed into the temple of God. They tell us there were 15 steps up into the temple of God. 
There's 15 Psalms in the Ascent of Psalms from 120 to 135. There, there are 134. There are 15 Psalms. And so they, they tell us that it took 15 steps for worshipers to enter into the temple. So this was a song, or these were songs that helped them go higher. Songs that took them higher. But not just higher, higher together. Someone called these songs the songs of the homeward march. It was like a family going home. It was like a family coming together on a journey to a place they had never been before, on a journey into a dwelling place of God, on a journey to where the manifest presence of God lived. In other words, because when you read in Psalms 134 that David was standing, standing. See, I find it interesting that our text is sandwiched between David's passion to find the dwelling place of God. And then in verse 34, we find standing in the middle of that, verse 34, excuse me, we find him standing in the house of the Lord, blessing the Lord. So he was on his way to find the dwelling place of God, Psalms 133 jumps in and by the time they get to Psalms 134 he's standing in the very dwelling place of God. He made it to the presence of God but David didn't go alone this time. It was the entire nation. Can I just simply state this this morning because this is a very simple message. Can I simply state this? You can't go any higher into God's presence than going with somebody else. Uh, the reason is, is because, see, no Christian is an only child. We are a family. You, 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 you would like to think it's just you and God, but it's not just you and God. It's you and God and everybody else. So we can go higher and we can experience more together. We can go higher. Experience more together. I'm preaching this because I really believe that us dwelling together is imperative for sustained revival. Many revivals have ended because relationships within that revival became toxic, contaminated, being ruled by flesh and self. But something I learned years ago and I can't let go of is that God inhabits healthy relationships. This is what the Psalms 133 is telling us. Where there is all kinds of mess going on, God says, I'm not going down there. I'm not going to get in that. You better hear this apostolic word today. I'm not preaching because I say there's something wrong. I'm preaching because I want to make sure nothing gets wrong. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. I'm getting ready to arm somebody today. So God inhabits healthy relationships. Let, let, let me just talk about this for a minute. Let, let me talk about 
the fact that there is a power of us dwelling together. There are things we can get together we can never get alone. God made us that way. Yes, he did. And when we dwell together in God's dwelling place, power is released. We're believing for greater manifestations of God's presence through power. Then we need to make sure we are right with one another. We pour so much, we pour so much into the vertical, which we should, because everything is about Jesus. But if we don't take care of the horizontal, it can block what we can get only vertically with one another's pursuit. We are not pursuing alone. That's the beauty of being in a church. That's the beauty of being in a family. I'm not going after God by myself. I got you and you got me and we got each other and we are going hard after God. Psalms 2, excuse me, Acts 2, 1. We're familiar with around here, but it says when the, on the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, somebody shout all. They were all in one accord in one place. One accord in one place. They were all in one accord in one place. They were not only there in their body, but they were there in their mind. They wasn't just together in their body. They weren't just together in their soul. They were together in the mind, the mind, to mind. In other words, they weren't just acting the same. They were thinking the same. So Acts 4.31 says, And when they, the church, had prayed the place where they were, I said where they were, the place where they were, where they were assembled together, was shaken. And it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word with boldness. One, one of my favorite theologians is A.W. Tozer, a man born before his time. He had some comments about Psalms 133. I want to share a couple of them with you. He says this. He says, the coming together in unity is man's part, but the pouring out a blessing is God's part. He says the Holy Ghost comes because we are unified. He does not come to make us a unified people. This is in his message, which he called unity to bring, that brings revival. He, he uses an analogy in his teaching, and I, I'll kind of bring it into, you know, 2000s right now. I'll, I'll try to, you know, more modern swing to it. But he, he alludes to the fact uh, that, you know, it's an analogy that we all understand is that electricity flows. And electricity flows through a power line. And if that power line is broken, 
or that power line is disconnected, then the flow of power uh, begins to be interrupted, which results in a power outage. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about uh, some more about revival and unity. I'm going to come back to that. But he says this, he says, he, he says, he says, he begins to talk about the fact that unity is part of the spirit, or the, is part of the power, spiritual power grid through which power flows. Unity. Unity. So we can pray all day. We can worship all night. Fast all week. But if we ain't right with one another, we still going to have a power shortage. So he, he begins this whole thing talking about the fact that he calls them, and I quote, spiritual moves. And he talks about how there, there, are, there are spiritual moves which comes upon a believer. Spiritual moves which we would say maybe outpourings or, or God encounters. He calls it just spiritual move. And sometimes it, it's a, it comes upon a, a person or sometimes it comes upon an entire church. But he said there are spiritual moments, there are spiritual moves, there are outpourings. And, and he says these, these will come, but he said, but these come and then they go. They come and then they go. But then he says this, and I quote. He says revivals have been mainly this. He's talking about the spiritual moves, Right? Revival has been mainly this, whether big or small, mainly the achieving of united minds among a number of people. For he says a revival is a persistence of that spiritual move among the people. And it carries over from day to day, week to week. Now, this persistence enables the Holy Spirit to do what he couldn't do if, if, if they weren't broken. Now, what he means by that, it is if the spiritual move isn't broken. He said if the spiritual move isn't broken, then it allows the Holy Spirit to do what he could not do before. In other words, there are these moments, these outpourings, these spiritual moves, they come and they go. They're powerful, they're needed, but he said revival is when that spiritual move don't stop. And it doesn't stop, so therefore the Holy Spirit can do a deeper work than he could do before. Because if it just comes and goes, oh, it's good, but you're up, and then you're down, you're in, and then you're out. Because the spiritual move. But he said, when the, when the Holy Spirit is persistent, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming. He said, that's what brings transformation. That's what changes lives. That's what changes churches. That's what changes regions. That's what changes nations. And the only thing, he says, or maybe not the only thing, but one of the things that breaks that, that persistent moving and working of the Holy Spirit, a messed up relationships. 
I, cu- I couldn't get that, that phrase out of my mind um, that, that, that I shared with you a few weeks ago on the, the corporate connection and the, the, the proper positioning. I couldn't get that phrase out. This, this corporate connection is really what Psalms 133 is about. This, he says, how beautiful, how pleasant. How, he said, it's, it's good. It's good. It's pleasant. Do you know in life, it's very seldom that you find something that's good and pleasant. Sometimes something's good, but it's not very pleasant. The discipline of the Lord is good, but it's not very pleasant. Good and pleasant. Sometimes you find something's pleasant, but it's not good. They were telling him, can you find something that's good and pleasant? But David said, oh, how good and how pleasant it is when the brothers, the sisters, the family dwells together in unity. This word dwell, dwells together. In the Hebrew, it means to sit down, remain. It means to endure. How good and how pleasant it is when the family, when the revival family dwells together. How good it is that they sit down, remain, endure. (laughs) I tell you, unity ain't for sissies. It means to take up residence for an extended period of time. It's talking about community, commitment, covenant. It's it's not just being nice to each other. You know, if everybody just be nice, we'd get along a lot better. No, it's it's not about just being nice. It's about community. It's about covenant. It's about commitment to one another. It, it's, 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 the truth is, can I preach the truth? That the modern church knows very little about what it really means to dwell together. It, it, it's really about us sitting down Remaining and enduring for an extended amount of time, no matter how hard it gets. Because we are in this thing, not for what we can get from this thing. We are in this thing to encounter God. To find our way to the dwelling place. So this corporate connection and this proper position is about us dwelling together. Do do you realize how important it is? You know, church selection should not be random. It really matters who you worship. 
It really matters who you serve with. Because connecting with the right people will always bring value to your life and to your ministry. The right people. The right people. And I'm preaching this because folks who are not connected, i got to talk to somebody in this room. Maybe you're here, but you're not connected. Maybe you're here and you're still trying to figure out why you're here. But you need to get connected. Why? And I'm not talking, and when I say connected, I'm not talking about getting a job in the church. I'm not talking about finding your place of service. We have misused that phrase, getting connected, because we think if we can get people doing something, they'll stay. But I'm telling you, when I say connected, I'm not talking about what you can do. I'm not talking about what you bring to the table. I'm talking about who you are, what you carry. And what you say, I value. I don't mean to be mean, but I ain't got time to connect with people that don't have the same values that I have. It doesn't mean I'm not going to like them. It doesn't mean I'm not going to love them. It doesn't mean I don't wish them the best. But I got to make sure if I'm going to covenant connect with somebody, we believe, we will fight, we will die on the same hill. Hear the word of the Lord. And the reason I'm bearing down on this is because I already told you is relationships will affect revival. I refuse to let this move of God die because somebody's got a sticky attitude. Is everybody all right? There, there, there's a reason. There's a reason why Satan fights the corporate connection. It is absolutely ground zero for signs, wonders, and miracles. Because God now coming to display his might a bunch of, and among a, a bunch of disjointed people. This is why, Lord, help me say this. This is why your conference revival settings really build nothing of substance. Because people come together from all over the world, look at the, the back, back of somebody else's head for three days and have some encounter with God. And then we all walk away like we don't know nobody else and ain't got time for nobody else. We can't, we don't have time. See, see what I'm talking about is a kind of relationship and the kind of revival that causes us to commit to one another for life and ministry. We'll go through hell together. I'm just not here to experience heaven with you. I will walk through hell with why so intense because we are building a dwelling place there, there, there is this, this, this power in unity man I'm telling you you can't get around it 
You know, one of the enemies, one of the enemies of, of this covenant connection is, is spiritual vagabonds. Getting ready to make something pop. Spiritual vagabond. You know, the first mention of the, of the word vagabond in your Bible is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 12. And, and it says, after Cain killed Abel, God put a curse on him. And it said, he said, God said, and you will till the ground and it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. That intrigued me. Wait, Cain. Our Bible speaks of the way of Cain. The way of Cain. Well, Cain lived up under a vagabond spirit. So the way of Cain. And what, what, why, why did Cain find himself under a vagabond spirit? Because he killed his brother. So the way of Cain means your brother killer. When you, when you look up the definition of vagabond, it is defined as a person without a permanent home who moves from place to place they are a wanderer or a tramp. A tramp is defined as a person who gets intimate with many, but stays with none. Have you ever heard such a thing? We know that the spirit this vagabond spirit is from hell. Satan himself. When discerning himself and describing himself. When God said, where have you been? He said, I have been to and fro on the earth. I have been walking back and forth on it. Why? In that place. To and fro. Our Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says that in the last days, men will be running to and fro, to and fro, up under a vagabond spirit. You see, those under vagabond spirits are driven by jealousy, driven by envy. They are impatient for what they believe God has for them. They don't have time to be still. They don't have time to wait. They don't have time to grow. They don't have time for accountability. They don't have time. They got to keep moving. I've got everything I can get from here. So I'm just going to move on to the next thing. They don't value what they just took from you because they didn't pay the price to get what you got. They're not looking for paying a price. I put in my nose, I said church hoppers versus church shoppers. 
And then when I was looking at that this morning, I said, no, I'm going to change that. Relationship hoppers versus relationship shoppers. It's a good thing to look for a good relationship. There are biblical concepts and principles that guide us into good biblical relationships. But I want you to know something, my friend. If you're going from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship, once you get everything they have, you know what we have become? We have been developing Kleenex relationships. You use it and you throw it away. That has no room in the house of God. That has no room among God's people. It's called a fugitive. A fugitive is someone that's running from authority and accountability. If you've ever wondered why you've not been able to stay at a place very long, you could be up under a vagabond spirit. And if you keep being drunk, do you know in the, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, I think it's, I think it's uh, Acts uh, either 16 or 19, where Paul it talks about the sons of Sceva, and it talks about their, their Jewish, most translations says itinerant Jews. But if you go to the King James Version, it says vagabond Jews. It says vagabond Jews. And they were going around. They, 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 they were false prophets, and they were going around trying to get up under the anointing of Paul and use the authority of Jesus because they didn't want to pay the price that Paul paid to make demons. They saw when Paul does it, he does a better job because they were fakering. They were false. They, they were doing it through witchcraft and through manipulation. And so when they tried to get up under Paul's authority, the devil jumped on them, gave them a good whooping. It's time to whoop. The spirit of vagabond. Get oh yeah. This vagabond spirit wants access to everything without being responsible for anything. So if you're going from one spiritual leader to another spiritual leader to another spiritual leader because at some point you feel like you got all they got to give you and so you got to go find another one. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. I'm trying to help you right now. I'm trying to help because you don't understand. There's a big fat target on your back. It's called revival. It's called revival. And hell will do everything to get you out. That's one thing we got to deal with. Then we, then we got to deal with this. I, I will, this is not original, but I will call it this. I will call it Satan's scattering strategy. It's taken from Genesis chapter 11. Just, yes. It's, it's where we read about the Tower of Babel. I really, I really believe that this, this strategy, this, this scattering strategy is an end-time assault against the governing or the assembling 
of the church or the ecclesia, which is an assembly of people called together to govern legislatively the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know when you read the story in Genesis chapter 11 that God scattered those who using Tozer's words, who who's, have unified, it, unified minds, God scatters those who had unified minds against God. Watch this. They were going to build a tower into heaven and take over heaven. So obviously this is satanically inspired. He has a plan. The plan is to bring the minds of distorted, corrupted people together and say, if we will stay together no matter how corrupt we are, we can build a tower and take over heaven. Now, we would look at that today and say, that's ridiculous. There's no way you can do that. But that's not what our text says. Look at this. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose tops into the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. See, unity is the cure for being scattered. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they have one language and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and their confusion let's go down and their confusion or confuse their languages that they may not understand the, the one another's speech. So he confuses their ability to communicate. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them. So the Lord scattered them from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, it is na- its, it, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them broad, abroad over the face of the earth. Okay. Watch this. Satan had a plan. I'm going to bring these people together. We're going to be unstoppable. As long as we stay together, we're unstoppable. We say that sounds ridiculous, but God says, if we don't stop them, there's nothing they cannot do. So God, the originator of the scattering strategy, scatters them, confuses their language. They're no longer communicating. Therefore, their minds begin to think for themselves. Do you think that possibly 
Satan got a little ticked off. Just maybe. Just maybe he had the perfect plan. And God messed it up. He scattered them. So this is what I have come to warn us about. Is that now, because of what God did to him, he is now doing to God's church. Maybe Satan has stolen a page from the playbook of God and is on a mission to scatter the church through confusion, offense, and church hurt. Maybe our church hurt is really not just about us being hurt. Maybe, because it's real. I know people get hurt in church. I've been in church all my life. I have said many times, some of the meanest people I have ever known are in church. So it is possible to be hurt in church. I'm not denying that. The thing is, though, maybe we have fallen prey to our church hurt. Maybe it's a diabolical plan not just to hurt us, but to scatter us. Maybe our offenses aren't just about us being offended. Maybe it's about satanic strategy to scatter us. Can I get some help in here? Maybe this is why Paul exhorted us in Hebrews that, that, this, that, 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 that we are uh, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because why? Because he wanted, because we want people to come to church? No. Because we understand this. We understand Satan knows the power of a unified gathering. Satan knows when the people of God get together, he's got to work overtime to pull us apart. Because when we come together in this house, we don't come together to pat a cake. We don't come together to put in our religious mindset time. We come together to govern. We come together to attack hell. We come together to bring down strongholds, principalities, strategies of hell against us. We decree that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against us we bring into condemnation. And we say now every plot and every ploy of hell will fall to the ground. Not avoid and not touch us. See, Satan is working overtime to pull people out of their place. And we know here together our mandate is governing. I'm speaking to the church at large today, but let them, you know, if it fits, take it. The scattering and the loose connection to the mandate. The loose connection to the mandate. The loose connection, that's what I kept hearing, the loose connection to the mandate. You may like the revival atmosphere, but are you connected to the mandate? Can I be honest with you? I don't know if I'll fight enough for a, for, for, for a loosely connected thing, but I will fight for a mandate. 
I may not fight just to get a chair and get close to the front. I may not fight just to get you. Do you realize that the average believer in the church today goes to church two times a month? And that's normal. This is normal. Two services a month. Let me tell you something. What's getting ready to come on the face of the earth. I know we're going to see a move of God. I know we're going to see the depths of his glory, his power, and his richness. I know we're going to see things that our minds, we're going to see it with our eyes, and our mind's not going to be able to comprehend it. I understand that. I know God's getting to wreck this planet. I got complete faith and trust in God. But there's some darkness coming on the face of the earth. There's some craziness coming on the face of the earth. You say, wait a minute. We got an election in two years. We can change that. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not depending on a man to shift this thing. I'm depending on the God of heaven to shift this thing. But I want you to know something. Going to church twice a month ain't going to get you through. saying that because I need more people in church. I'm saying that because you need to be connected. (sighs) The reason, the reason I'm preaching is because we got to understand when we unite around the mandate of gathering to govern, it's something that hell cannot ignore. There's a lot of churches he can walk right by and say, I got that. I can go right up in there, sit down right in the middle of them. I can worship with them. I can pray with them. I can preach with them. But you start governing in the spirit. It's the only hope for our nation. It's the only hope for the, the world is that the ecclesia rises up to be the ecclesia. But it does put a big old target on you. But when we take our proper position and we unify, hell is overcome. That's what Jesus said. In the gates of hell, I will build my church, the ecclesia. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell will not win as long as the church gets in proper position. So break loose from your nominal church experience and come join us in the mandate. Y'all doing all right? Church, Lord, help me. We must, we must, we must guard our corporate connections. And we must guard them at all costs. We must protect our revival relationships. Kind of hard to have a relationship with anybody in this house unless you love revival. Ain't that right? I will admit, our relationships have an agenda. It's called revival. 
I run with the revivalists. I love all streams. I love all people. But I don't run with them all. Some of them just flat wear me out. But give me a revivalist. I'll run until I ain't got breath left. I'll run till my one leg quits running. I'll just keep on going and keep on burning and keep on pushing. Can I get some help in here? Maybe this is why Paul talks to us in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 1. And he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Don't hear too many people talking about being a prisoner of the Lord anymore. We're all trying to be prosperous and... I want to run with the prisoners. I want to run with those that are locked up and locked down up in Jesus. He said, therefore, prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Now watch this. These aren't verses we put on our refrigerators, but they're pretty good. With all lowliness, gentleness, and long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit. Just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I will not make a joke about him being from Texas because he said you all. I will not make that joke. Maybe that's why Paul says, make every effort. Because you got to fight for it. I mean, he, he has these beautiful words here, lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. You know what long-suffering means? To stretch. Stretch. He said, stretch as far as you have to. To stay in the unity of the Spirit. Stretch. I, 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 I'm feeling this because you see, we have to protect our revival relationships and we have to protect it with grit and fortitude. We got to get up in our mind that we're bigger than that, stronger than that, and tougher than that. Hey, I like what my friend Andrew Willis says. Uh, what does he say? Let's see, he says, you can't make me hate you. You can't make me be offended at you. I just refuse to do it. Yeah, if you don't like it here, then, you know, that's fine. That's why we got extra doors all over the building. That's fine. If you don't like it here, that's fine. That doesn't offend me. I understand that. But I tell you, if you're here and you're so we together, then we better be able to stretch. Yes. So, so if, if I know anything, I don't know a lot of things, but I know something. The enemy hates what God is building here. What have we been building for seven years and probably before? 
We've been building a holy habitation for God. We've been building a dwelling place for God. Look around. I'm talking about this building. Paul tells us that we are the dwelling place of God. We are the habitation of God. We are stones fitted together. Not dead stones. Living stones, Peter says. Each one of us carry life. Each one of us are connected to somebody else. You can't be here and not be connected. Isolation is a terrible thing for your spiritual soul. You need to find somebody. You know, this is why we have small groups. Because you can't love a thousand people. Oh, but you can You can love about 20, 20, 15, or 20. You can love them pretty good. But you, you can like a thousand. You can worship with a thousand. But you can't do life with a thousand. If you're trying to get everybody on your side, just understand you've got to connect with somebody you got to make a relationship with somebody you got to have a family member in this place with somebody see how do I know how do I know if I'm 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 I'm, I'm connected how how do I know Uh, I'll tell you how you know is that you can't miss without somebody saying well I wonder where they're not they're always here Opposed to, I don't even know who you're talking about. You know, as I was thinking about that, I said, Lord, we've been trying to build, you know, a holy habitation. We want a place that you feel comfortable in. We want to build a place that you won't just come and leave, but you'll come and stay. Just want to build a place. And then I realized that's what a revival culture is. A revival culture is a holy habitation. That we build together. You know, families have culture. Every family, we, we, we have culture. You know, we have our, our ethnicity. We have cultures. We have uh, our, our family culture, which means when we get together with our family, there's certain things that we do, certain ways we talk, certain things, certain ways we act. Why? Because we're family. You bring a stranger in the mix and we all clean up a little bit. You, know, you push stuff in the closet and push stuff in the drawers. And... <laughs> got to make sure you got clean socks on. I mean, you got it all. But when it's family, you're just all like, everything's hanging out. Just hanging out. You don't even think about it. You don't even talk about it. You just do it. This, this is what the church is supposed to be like. Don't, we shouldn't have to feel like we have to clean up everything and, and put everything in the closet. So when we come together, we put on some fake family attitude. We need to get up in this place. So you, you can only be real with real family. Why? Because family's not going to kick you out. If you're family, then it's going to put up with you anyway. And that's just the way they are. You know that crazy uncle one. 
or whatever. I got a feeling we got some crazy uncles in this church. Is this all right? You know what I, what I, what I came to understand this week is, is, is that the enemy especially hates, especially hates when we move from the foundation to the elevation. When you're building something in the spirit of habitation of God, it always begins with a foundation, the prophets and the apostles. Jesus being the cornerstone. But there comes a time when you move from just being a foundation and you begin to create elevation. You don't always see everything you want to see in the foundation. Because it's got to be strong and deep. It's not always pretty, but it seems to take the longest to build. And once you get it done, then the elevation goes up and everybody drives by and it says, look at that. It's just like that happened overnight. No, it didn't. You just didn't see the foundation being dug out. You didn't see the apostolic and the prophetic digging a thing up and the chief apostle himself, Jesus Christ, declaring that's going to be a place that I'm going to dwell in. Satan built out of rebellion, but the church is building out of reverence. Come, Lord, we're building you something. We're creating a praise that has not yet been done. We're creating a worship that has not yet been lifted. We're creating a cry. We're creating a sound. We're creating a people. Ah, for God inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, the enemy hates that. If you know what else I found out? Is that he despises threshold crossings. He despises that. He despises when you go through your personal thresholds. He despises it when your family goes through thresholds. That means you're changing your position to get something you've never had so you can do something you've never done. Because what you see on the other side is not where you are. And the only way to get it is go through that threshold. He despises it. He hates it. He hates when we move forward. He hates it. Because that means we have accomplished something behind us that he can no longer touch. So now we move into something else that he fears. Yeah. He also hates when we stretch our spiritual capacity. He hates it. I'm giving you these things for a reason because I believe all of these things have just happened in the last few weeks. Cross the threshold. Moving from foundation to elevation. Stretching our spiritual capacity. I'm telling you this because we have to understand that the devil will try to penetrate, divide, and rule through our relationships. Watch me. 
in the time of tension. I'm going to try to hurry now. What do you mean by that? See, anytime something, see, look, tension doesn't mean something is wrong. Tension means something is happening. Tension means something just moved. Something just stretched. If you're not careful, it can mess you up because you think something is wrong. Something is wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's moving. It's, it, it's moving. Threshold crossings. Moving from foundation to elevation. Stretching spiritual capacity. All of these things are seasons that we must be careful because the enemy will use relationships because there is an atmosphere of tension. See, we don't realize how much God uses us to cause each other to grow. So we think all spiritual growth comes from here. Sometimes it comes from here. This is where the fruit of the spirit comes in. Relationship, relationships are built on charisma. Relationships are built out of covenant character and connection. Relationships are built out of the fruit of the spirit. I can have charisma out the walls too. It's still me mean as a snake. I've got to have the fruit of the spirit functioning in my life. I'm, I'm trying to, to move through this quickly because I got a lot more to say on that. And y'all looking like and you ain't really caring what I got to say right now. But you got to hear what I'm talking about. Because you see, tension does not mean something is wrong. It means something is happening. And we can't have growth without movement. All functioning relationships have tension in them. Husband and wife. Parents and children, church folks, tell me you haven't had one, tell me you've had one relationship in your life that didn't end up somewhere along the way being tense. This is the moment where your relationship is either going to grow or go. Can I get a witness in the house right now? This is, this, this is where we need the oil of the Holy Spirit more than ever. This is where we need. We need to get up in his presence and say, oh, Lord, anoint me with oil. Anoint me with oil. Anoint me with the gladness and the joy of the oil. Uh, anoint me, God, with the oil of goodness. And, yeah, yeah, all that. Anoint me, Lord. You know why? Because if we don't handle it right, our tension creates friction. You know, because we ain't got no oil. We got no Holy Spirit. We're too busy chasing the gifts that we don't have time to cultivate. See, 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 relationships are not activated. Relationships are cultivated. 
We want to we act like we can activate somebody and get what they got. Quit trying to get what somebody else had and get what's in you grown up. Grow up that gate. Grow up that gift. Grow up that spirit. Grow up. Somebody needs to grow up in this house because you are a walking friction machine. You know what I mean by that? Everybody you touch, you rub the wrong way. Hey, look, everybody has relational issues and challenges, but if you live in a constant relationship issue and challenge, look no further but the mirror, baby. I am all over the place. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, 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 don't look over to your right. Don't look over to your left. Just look straight ahead and say, shan da 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 bahai. You know what one, one, one man called these? He called these grace growers. Look. I'm preaching this because we got we got to get this right. Because what God is doing in this place is too valuable for us to mess it up. Relational conflict dealt with in a healthy way will always push both individuals to growth. It's, it's when we, we deal out of offense, hurt, which, you know, church hurt is just another way of saying I got offended. We finally taught, the church has taught so much of being offended that people quit saying I got offended. So now they say I'm hurt. Is it real? Yes. Yes. So is offense is real. But some of you are, are, are being held back because you won't let that go. Would you please Forgive. Would you please release? Would you realize that's in your past and your future is much brighter and better than that? I am really just everywhere. And I need to quit. Can I just give you this? I learned this years ago and it really helped me really helped me in my spiritual growth. It really helped me in, in, in relational issues and that, you know, fr- the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is one, I can't remember who it was and I read it in the book, it was so powerful, but is that the fruit of the Spirit grows in bad soil. In other words, you, you don't plant in good soil. Your fruit grows when you're dealing with all kinds of crazy negative things. And you learn to respond in the opposite manner. 
It's not, you know, it's not eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. It's like you punch me, and I'm just going to, that's okay. Not really. If you really punch me, I'll probably punch you back. But, you know, in, in, emotionally, if you punch me emotionally, I deal better with emotional things than physical things. I, if you punch me, that's, you know, space invading. That's not acceptable, but... You know what I'm talking about. It's really true. Look, as a child of God and being in churches, you've had many times to be offended and been hurt. As a church leader, I have, been, I have, have had many opportunities, believe me, that I could be a bitter man right now. But I refuse to be bitter. And I refuse to let that move into my future. And I refuse most of all for it to keep me bound in my past. It's not worth it. Release it. Quit trying to get even. Somebody shout yes. Oh, Lord. I got one more thing to say. Relationships create atmospheres. Worship is very important to a corporate house. Our ability to worship together is huge. As much as I would love to see everyone, you know, just going crazy for Jesus and dancing and jumping and shouting and twirling, I, I, I wish I could do all of that. If I had two legs, I would do all of that. But more than seeing you, I want to make sure that your spirit is right. And make sure your relationships are right in this house. Please do not come in here, twist, spin, jump, and dance and shout. But talk about your sister on the other side of the church. I know this makes no sense because I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure out why can one person or two people come up in here and cause the atmosphere to get heavy to get sick. See, you don't understand. See, the first thing my wife and I do, and I know the praise team does too, the first thing we do when we come in here is I'm, I'm, I'm sensing the atmosphere. I'm trying to figure out where's the atmosphere. I'm trying to sense beyond the shout and the dance and the drums and the guitars and the lights. I'm trying to say what is going on. But you got to understand something, child of God. God values relationships so much in his house one of you, two of you, three of you, four of you could be all upset at one another and we're coming in here trying to worship, why are we trying to what are we fighting today 
See, there are entire churches that struggle in worship because they don't even like each other. It's just one warring party against another warring party. Now, I know we don't have this in this house, but my friend, I got to tell you something. If you got something against your brother, you got something against your sister, we will fight. We will break through. We will see glory. But I'm getting tired of praising through your offense. Get it right. Okay, everybody stand up on your feet and listen. See, some of you are probably thinking, well, this stuff going on right now, Pastor Paul, no stuff. Well, I know stuff, but I don't know what I'm talking about right now. I just know church folk. And I'm going to tell you something. I value this thing way too much to let petty relational issues make it hard on everybody else to build a dwelling place for God. See, this is the power of relational connection. You can't just come in here and act like it don't matter. So if there's anybody in this room that's got something against your brother or your sister in this room, you need to take care of it. You can do it this morning. You can, I don't care when you do it. You just need to get it done. And, and I got, I got two more pages of stuff and I'm not going to preach it but I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you something else the enemy hates. He hates the diversity and the ethnicity that is in this house. He hates it. He hates that we have black and white and brown and yellow. He hates. He hates he hates that we have Indian and we have First Nations. He hates. He hates. He would love to sow a seed of racism in this house. I've said it a hundred times if I said it once. If you're a racist, you need to repent. And if you're not going to repent, there's the door. If you're an elitist and you think you're better than everybody else because you got some money or something and you're going to treat everybody less than with dignity and kindness and gentleness, you know what? There's the door. We don't need your money. You know what? If you're a sexist and you struggle with strong women leaders, it ain't going to change the door I refuse to let the seed of racism elitism, and sexism root in this house if you run into one of any of those and you say repent and 
they don't repent, show them the way out. You have my permission. with the racism thing. I said, just like that. It ain't got to be a big deal. You just got to speak to it and tell it to go. Let it know it's not welcome in this. What do you do with people that don't like women preachers? That's the door. Keep your comments to yourself. We don't care. Listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.